Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. This morning we are continuing our study of this book, and we know in the past weeks Dr. Walker has shown us that the foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, not a cringing dread, but a reverential awe and love and trust in God through Jesus Christ. And we've seen that that loving fear of God is the foundation of what we might call the house of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs says. And then we've looked at what we have called the first two pillars of the house of wisdom. In in chapters 2 and 3, the first pillar is a heart to hear, a heart that is ready to listen to the Lord and His Word as the only source of true wisdom. And then the second pillar in chapter 3 was to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. That constant calling for us to be committing our lives and our way to our Lord and relying on Him. And now we come to the third pillar, to keep your heart with all vigilance. Hear the Word of God as I read Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass by, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But The path of the righteous is like the dawn of light, the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh." Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. 
Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. One of the pearls of wisdom that's often heard in modern movies is the advice, follow your heart. And a variant of that theme is, do whatever makes you happy. Of course, uh, the philosophy of life that stands behind these statements is this one, that, that, that the human heart is the inspired and wonderful standard of guidance for life. <clears throat> and all you have to do to make wise choices in life is to simply follow the inclinations of your heart. Your heart will never lead you astray. Well, I smile as I say that because if you know anything about the, the Bible, you will know that that kind of advice stands in complete opposition to biblical wisdom. In fact, as we study through the book of Proverbs, we'll find that advice being contradicted on every page. One of the most memorable, state, memorable statements, in fact, in the Bible about the human heart is in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, that doesn't mean that our hearts are as totally bad as they might possibly be, but it's a statement about the human heart, the fallen human heart, that does not really sit well with modern sensibilities, which see humans as fundamentally good. And it that statement truly describes very accurately the fallen nature of humanity as made in the image of God, but with that image of God deeply marred and broken because of sin. And that's the perspective we have to have, that Jeremiah 17.9 outlook, as we come to this key verse in Proverbs 4, verse 23, which gives us guidance about what we need to do with our hearts if we are to walk as followers of Christ. And it tells us there, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We want to look at this verse under three points. First, why we must guard our hearts. Second, how we guard our hearts. And third, the blessing of guarding our hearts why we have to guard our hearts, how we guard our hearts, and the blessing of guarding our hearts. And so first, why we must guard our hearts. And we could say it this way, our hearts are central to the Christian life and our walk with God. The word heart in Scripture is a very common term, and it's used to describe the center of our inner life, the center of our orientation to God and to our world. The heart includes our mind and our emotions and our will. It's out of our hearts that we do all of our thinking and feeling and choosing. And so we're told, keep your heart. The word could also be translated, guard your heart. It's a military term. And the idea is, be aware of your heart what you love, what you think about, 
what you daydream about. Some of you might be daydreaming right now as I speak, and that shows where your heart is. What you long for, what moves you, what motivates you. Notice the connection between verses 20 through 23, where in verse 20 we read, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Do you hear that part of the Part of the guarding is to keep hearing and heeding God's Word. We have to be aware of that. That was pillar number one. The New Testament commentary, we might say, on Proverbs 4.23 is Jesus' powerful statement about the heart in Mark 7.21, and it's found elsewhere in the Gospels. Jesus gives us this summary of the nature of the human heart when He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. He's talking about the fact that ceremonial defilement is not the main problem. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come, and then there's this whole list of sinful things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. A powerful statement about the nature of our hearts. You hear how different the Bible is from all other human religions or all other human systems of morality. All these tend to say, clean up your act, and you will be pure. You will be holy. Do certain rituals and your sins will be removed. Go to church, give your offerings, fast, go on a pilgrimage, help the poor. The defilement that you know is within you, they all say, can be eliminated somehow by these external things, these religious ceremonies or moral exertion and effort. But Jesus says, no, the problem goes deeper. Our hearts are wrong. Our hearts need to be changed. We actually need a new heart. We have to be born again, Jesus tells Nicodemus, this teacher of the Jews in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus, hearing that, is just dumbfounded. How can that be, he says. But Jesus insists, you must be born from above. In other words, you need a new heart. The Apostle Paul In Titus 3, it says it this way, God saved us not because of of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration. That word means rebirth. The washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so we see having a new heart through the work of Jesus Christ and through faith in Him is the beginning of, of then being able to start to guard our hearts. Without this, this God-imparted new heart, this new orientation to God within our hearts, to the work of Christ and, and through His work and all that we can… Uh, if w- without that, then um, all we can do to clean up our hearts is just to adjust our sinful desires so that… They're not as bothersome to others, we might hope, or to cover up our hearts and our idols in a way that somehow make our sin more hidden 
And, and there, are, there are lots of ways to worship idols that are more acceptable ways of idolatry to our society. No wonder we just sang in the hymn, All idols underfoot be trod, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. That's something that every Christian wrestles with. <clears throat> but when Jesus gives us a new heart and he cleanses our sin, he also begins to give and to produce these more new motives and desires in our lives, in actual holiness of life, a heart that now actually desires to worship Him, a heart that wants to read the Word of God and apply it to our lives, a heart that wants to please Him and genuinely love others and to trust Jesus Christ with the circumstances of our lives. And so Paul can say in Galatians 5.16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And, but we know that Paul is describing this process of sanctification that in this life is still incomplete. It's still ongoing. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 applies very truly to all of us. We need to guard our hearts. The heart is central. And our application of this first point is this. Have you received a heart made new by the Holy Spirit of God through simple faith in Jesus Christ and His cross and resurrection? Have you turned from your sin to give Him your life? If you have trusted Jesus Christ, then as much as it might not feel like it a lot of the time, then the Bible says that you can be sure He has given you a new heart, a new life in Him. And that brings us to our next point because that also means that you are now in this daily spiritual battle. You will be more aware of the fact that your heart can easily lead you astray. And so we come to number two, how we guard our hearts with all vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And then the verses that follow give us three aspects of this vigilance. The first aspect of this vigilance is in verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. And we could summarize this aspect of vigilance in this way, be aware of your fruit, which shows your heart. You might say, well, how do I know if my heart is going wrong? Well, it becomes evident when it comes out in the way you are living, your relationships to others, the things that you say, the things that you do. Be aware of your fruit, and our speech is one of the primary aspects of our fruit, isn't it, that shows our heart. And it says, uh, crooked and, dis and devious speech put afar from you. That speaks about lying or exaggerating or manipulating or flattering or gossiping or boasting or, or any lack of integrity with our words. And we know in the book of James it says, if any man is able to bridle his tongue, he is a perfect man. None of us completely do that. We all fail in many ways. And so our words show the root of our sin in our hearts. And then other fruit has to do with our actions and the way we live and the way we love or don't love those around us. Our words reveal our hearts. This is humbling. 
but it is a spiritual blessing. When we see the bad fruit, Scripture calls us to go to God in humble confession and repentance, asking Him to forgive us, of course, not only of the fruit, but of the root, and asking Him to transform us and to give us renewed power by the Spirit to be putting to death sin. What's the root that's bringing out the speaking that does not honor Christ? Is it some wrong desire? Is it the fear of man that brings us snare? Is it some aspect of self-righteousness we have or lack of love or pride? The list of heart sins is many. Do you see here then, with this guarding our hearts with all vigilance, how this is a great opportunity to be having Jesus do heart surgery on us day after day. He's given us a new heart, but our wrong speaking can drive us anew to Him in prayer and confession. And as we do that, by the Spirit of God, He changes what we might call the disordered desires of our hearts. And our hearts are more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. As we just sang, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. That's what we want, and that's what he's doing. Well, the second aspect of this vigilance is in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. We might summarize this, be on guard against temptation. Let your eyes look directly forward. Every parent knows the common learning curve for young student drivers about being easily distracted and taking your eyes off the road. You might look to the side and listen to your playlist and look at your GPS and talk to your brother behind you in the car, all these things. It's almost a guarantee that if a student driver looks away for more than a microsecond, the car in front of him will no doubt suddenly slam on the brakes for some unknown reason and a fender bender will ensue. And that lucky student driver will get to be paying off the insurance rate hike for the next year. And that's what his job will go toward. No, let your eyes look directly forward. Well, that's not a driving tip here in Proverbs 4, but that's wisdom from God's Word about the spiritual temptations that allure all of our hearts. No matter what age of the history you live in, no matter where you live, there are always allures of the heart, and the Bible speaks very directly to them. And the idea here is that the goal is to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus Christ and His Word and His wisdom. That's the gaze that's to be straight before us, to trust Him, to love Him, to live for Him, to have as our goal to glorify Him every moment of every day. And we know that in this life we fall short of that goal, but our aim must be to seek that great vision. In fact, there's a hymn that we know well, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. He's talking about the vision we keep before our eyes. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. We sing that hymn and we love that hymn, but do we practice that in our lives? Guarding the heart means not to be distracted from the goal and the prize of Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that there will always be temptations to veer us off that path. What are the temptations that you're facing this week? 
Guard your heart with vigilance. And then the third aspect of this vigilance is in verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. We could paraphrase this verse by saying, think about how you are approaching your life. Don't just be swept along with the culture, with your friends, with your peers, with whatever, the people you're around. And we're seeing these themes in Proverbs repeated again and again. And notice all the phrases of Proverbs 4 that call for us to be seriously thinking of our lives in light of God's Word. I won't read all of them, but just look at some of them, starting in verse 1. Hear, O son, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Verse 2, do not forsake my teaching. Verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words. Again, verse 4, keep my commandments and live. Verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. You hear that? It's like again and again and again, the father is exhorting his son. Verse 6, do not forsake wisdom. There's this tender analogy about this, the speaker, Solomon, talking about how his father and mother were instrumental in his life, and he's, he's reflecting on that and, and now instructing his own son. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't just coast through life unthinkingly. J.I. Packer was a great British pastor and biblical theologian who just died the other year at the age of 94. Many of my generation and, and future generations were influenced by him and all of his books, and especially his famous book, Knowing God. But Packer tells about a providential incident that took place in his life when he was seven years old that changed the trajectory of his life, you might say. Here he was, a seven-year-old, adjusting to a new school. His parents had moved. This was in Britain. And he was experiencing bullying. And on that fateful day, he was being chased by another boy out of the school grounds and ended up running onto a busy street, and there he was hit by a bread truck and ended up with head trauma very seriously that affected him for a number of years. Surgery was done. There's a whole story of God's grace in that, and a a metal plate was put into his head. Even in his 90s, you could see the flat part of his skull where the metal plate was. But Packer sees the story as one of amazing grace from God in sparing his life, first of all, but also of forcing him in a different direction that he probably wouldn't have otherwise taken in the area of study and reading, which otherwise he doubts that he would have done. He wasn't allowed to play any sports because of this metal plate in his skull, and In fact, he had to wear a leather band around his head for years until he says that he finally, at age 15, went on strike and stopped wearing the band around his head. I'm sure he was ribbed for that. But for a birthday one year, his parents bought him a typewriter instead of a bicycle. Kids, how would you like that? And that typewriter ended up being his prized possession and led him really to his life of writing. And by the way, he always typed all his articles and books on an old-fashioned typewriter, even till the modern day. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pursue sports. Sports can be a great character builder and a lesson in life. But the point for us is this. Think about your life. Ponder the path of your feet, the writer writes, Scripture says. 
Think about your life. Packer was almost forced to do this by this providence of God in his life. Don't think you can be careless and distracted by a thousand things. And I know that American life is very busy. But in the midst of that, to seek to ponder the path of your feet, to to grow with a heart for God, and that's how we are vigilantly guarding their hearts. There must be an element of purposeful pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ and growing in Him in your life. Well, that's how we vigilantly guard our hearts as described in Proverbs 4. But the third major point is this, the blessing of guarding our hearts. Keep your heart with all vigilance. And then the last part of that verse is key here. For from it flow the springs of life. The idea here is that the character of your life flows out from your heart. It's like a spring, and the water is flowing from the spring. And the type of water it is is determined by the nature of the spring or of your heart. Is it good-tasting water? Is it bitter? Is it polluted? We're back to what Jesus said in Mark 7, 21, about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, we've already seen that if it weren't for the salvation of Jesus Christ and the new life he brings, our heart would be fundamentally wrong, polluted in a sense. But if we've come to know Christ, then we have a new heart, but it's also being remade more and more so that our life would flow out and to be a sweet water to the Lord. Here's another way of looking at this point. What we do with our hearts before God has far-reaching consequences. It will result in either blessing and life, or it will result in destruction and sorrow and ultimately spiritual death. And this really comes out in the middle of Proverbs chapter 4. We didn't look at verses 10 through 19 in any depth here, but here we see this description that we've seen in Proverbs again and again of these two major paths in life, the path of uprightness, verse 11, and the path of the wicked, verse 14. They're described for us again here. And it's interesting how the consequences of these two paths are pictured for us. In verses 14 to 17, we see the path of the wicked, and it says in verse 15 and 16, avoid it, turn away from it. Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. What's, what's being described here? It's really a great irony of the way of the wicked. In one way, this book acknowledges that the way of the wicked is a pathway that's very intriguing. It's enticing. We're told in chapter 1, the young man is told, don't be enticed. It looks thrilling and fun and daring and adventurous. It looks cool. But look at how verse 16 ends up. It ends up like this, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. In other words, there's this sense in, w- in which the path of the wicked, is, it, it becomes a duty. It becomes something like your daily food. They eat the bread of wickedness. Uh, if you don't do it, you can't even sleep. 
You are no longer in control of the sin. No, now the sin is in control of you. It's your master, and it's ruling your life. It starts out seeming like an adventure, but it ends in death and darkness. It was a bait-and-switch trick all along. That's the very nature of sin and temptation. But verse 19 shows us the ultimate direction of that pathway. It says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Deep darkness. It's like going out at night without the moon or stars or any light outside and just tripping over something in the front yard. It's so dark. The word is used in Exodus 10:22 about the ninth plague in Egypt as described as a darkness to be felt. What must that have been like? Darkness is always one of the consequences of sin, spiritual darkness in our lives. But thanks be to God that Jesus bore the darkness, the consequence of sin, and the judgment of sin on the cross so that we would never have to face such dread darkness, and that our lives would be enlightened by the gospel, by Jesus Christ and His life and light. Jesus, the light of the world, came to call us into his life through faith in him and through the cross and resurrection. And that brings us to this great blessing of guarding our hearts. We've been given new life. We've been given the light of Christ. And the fruit of walking in that is this great blessing of a right relationship to God that grows and grows in its light and its fullness. And so verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. What a glorious description of the Christian life and experience. At the end of World War II in Europe, on a night to be remembered for many years, At the end of the war, the war was over, and for the first time in nearly six long years of warfare, all the lights of every village and town and city came on. It was magical for those who lived through that. that You read the descriptions of that. There was so much joy at the war was over. Well, the full day of the glory of Christ will be such an infinitely better experience. And that's a great encouragement to all of us because Often the Christian life life doesn't seem like it's becoming lighter and lighter as we go along. There are lots of valleys of the shadow of death that we go through. But the path of those in Christ, we're told, grows brighter and brighter. Yes, life is marked with pain and brokenness and struggles. But as you walk with with Jesus Christ, even though we still grieve over our remaining sin... And even though we may not understand many aspects of God's providence in our lives, you can know that Jesus is with you, that He is at work in you, and that His light is shining on you by His grace. At Niram, Judson was a pioneer missionary in Burma in the early 1800s. He spent 40 years serving God and bringing the gospel to the Burmese people. But near the end of his life, he was experiencing a painful illness, which would actually take his life. And he was on a sailing ship because it was thought in that day that sea air would might help cure you of these kind of things. But here was this great missionary who translated the Bible into Burmese, gave Burma their first dictionary, 
who served the Lord all these years, uh, he wrote at the time about how he was struggling to know in his experience the love of Jesus Christ. After all these years, he was struggling with that. It shows, it just shows how suffering can make it seem like darkness, even when you know Christ, and how there can be times when the love of Christ can seem to be hidden. But we know that the Word of God tells us that when Adoniram Judson died, when any believer dies, he entered fully into the light of Christ. That full day we're told about here, the blessed presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Jesus is the good shepherd of our souls. And above all, we know that this path of the righteous, the path of those who belong to Christ, is growing brighter and brighter, and one day soon we will enter the full day. And so, in light of that, guard your hearts. Press on to know the Lord now for His sake, to please the one who has loved us and has given His life for us. This is the vision. This is the goal before us. May we guard our hearts and live for Jesus Christ in His strength, with His light, with His wisdom in each of our lives this week and always for His glory. Amen. Father, thank You for the light of Christ shining on us, for Your Word for your spirit, for the blessing of the truths of the gospel, that simple gospel story. Thank you that it is all sufficient for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, and please, we ask for you to work in our lives to help us to offer our hearts to you. And if there's anyone here this morning who is wrestling with that, wrestling with your calling them to the gospel, to know you, we pray that you would work in their hearts Give them the light of Christ through your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's all of grace from beginning to end. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.